Hello, and welcome to the Arkansas Center for Health Improvement's podcast, Wonks at Work. I'm Craig Wilson, your host, a self-declared wonk, dad of two boys, native Arkansan, and I've been the health policy director at the Arkansas Center for Health Improvement for more than a decade. On this show, we aim to demystify, boil down, and unwonk, if you will, complex topics so that you can understand how the healthcare system is working or not working for you. On our 47th episode, we're going to be talking about the physician workforce pipeline in Arkansas. This topic is of particular interest to me because it was one of the first things that I worked on in my first couple of years at the Arkansas Center for Health Improvement. Now, more than a decade ago, we compiled an extensive report, including some survey results, micro-simulation modeling, I know big word, physician supply and demand, and some drive time access assessments to identify primary care access challenges in Arkansas. And there were, of course, some supply challenges identified, particularly in rural areas. And since that time, two additional medical schools have opened with a third on the way, but that doesn't necessarily mean we have more physician supply in Arkansas. More residency slots for training in Arkansas have also been added, And then we have to keep those trained physicians here in the state to practice. So we have someone here with us today who is very familiar with this challenge. Robin Howell, who's the Senior Program Manager for Regional Programs at the University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences, where she has served for 35 years, both in the Office of Rural Health and in Regional Programs. She's also a member of the founding board of directors, where I know her from for the Rural Health Association of Arkansas, on which she served as secretary of the board. Welcome, Robin, and thanks for joining the show. Hey, Craig. Thanks for having me. All right. So uh, before we're going to get to the more serious stuff, I want to know what keeps you busy when you're not working. Well, I have four wonderful grown kids, a couple of amazing uh, grandkids, and um, I'm very involved and volunteer with Hill Waters Outreach Center, uh, which is out in Shannon Hills. Um, and uh, they're basically my church family. And we're trying to live out Matthew 25, you know, feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, all that kind of thing. So right. um, a lot of cool things happening out there. You're always keeping busy. I, I know that. <laughs> so um, I asked this of all of our wonky guests. What would you say is your theme song? I had to think about that. And I was asking my kids for input because I was like, Settled on uh, Zach Williams, less like me. Don't ask me why, or I'll start crying. You'll just have to listen to it. Okay. That's one I actually don't know. I've only been stumped a couple of times, so I don't know. A lot of Zach Williams songs, so uh, yeah, you'll have to listen to it. All right. All right, so uh, to provide us some context, tell us a bit about how physicians are educated and trained, because I, there's some misconceptions about that, really. Well, uh, medical students have to, they complete four years of medical school. Uh, the first two years of that is basically didactic, you know, a classroom um, 
memorizing information, all of that. And then the, the last two years are mostly clinical rotations where they actually get out in the clinic, start seeing patients and learning the actual, you know, clinical aspects of care. And then once they actually graduate from uh, medical school, then they have to do at least a three, um, a minimum of three years training in a residency program. So that could be anything from, you know, we're focused on family medicine, could be internal medicine, pediatrics, surgery, you know, and then they can go on to specialize in other, um, you know, subspecialties like neurosurgery or, uh, you know, things like that. They, they pick those, I guess, based on their experience through the clinical rotations and what appeals. Their, their third year is pretty much when they make, most of them make their decisions um, because that's when, that's their first year of clinical experience and they, they do blocks you know, where they'll do like a block of family medicine, a block of internal medicine, block of surgery, you know, months long usually. And and that's usually when they kind of sparks and it's like, I really enjoy this, yeah. you know, or I really don't like that, you know. And so that that those third year clerkships are really critical in helping them to kind of make the decisions of what they want to specialize in. Okay. And and some of the the residency training in Arkansas takes place at, at various sites through the UAMS regional programs. So tell us a bit about those. Well, regional programs are originally founded 50 years ago um, as the Area Health Education Center's program was a state, uh, was was established by the state legislature um, as a state program, although it was a federal initiative. The AHAG program was a federal initiative. Um, but, uh, and it was founded to specifically retain more Arkansas medical students in Arkansas. Mm -hmm. And so um, so they established uh, initially with six regional programs around the state. We currently have eight uh, regions, but um, to get the, and then we had six uh, residency programs in family medicine. And so the idea is to get the uh, residents out into away from central Arkansas, basically, um, because we don't need all the doctors in central Arkansas. We need them out there. Right. Glands. And so the idea is to get them out there for their residency training because research shows that that the majority of physicians end up practicing within 100 miles of where they completed their training. So the location of those training around the state is is critical. Okay. And, um, so the side thing with uh, medical students and other, you know, pharmacy and PA students as well, uh, the idea is to get the students out of Little Rock, out into those regional sites, uh, into more rural areas of the state, uh, to expose them, uh, to get that clinical experience out there, to let them see what kind of opportunities are out there, and to kind of, you know, say, hey, I think I might want to end up coming back here to practice um, because if, if they're not exposed to it, then they don't know, um, you know, with the opportunities that are out there and, and they're more likely to go back. So those regional programs, those are those, the, res the residency training is only in family practice at those. At those programs, they are. Okay. Okay. Just, just clarifying for, for my own sake. Um, I know that. FYI, our uh, regional programs have trained, we currently have 885 physicians wow. practicing in 67 of Arkansas's 75 counties. So basically, our it's working, you know. Um, That's currently. Currently. We have trained half of all the family physicians in the, in the state of Arkansas, especially in, in the rural counties. Wow. 
very successful. Yeah. Um, I, I know that this year is your 35th anniversary at UAMS, but it's also the 35th anniversary of the MASH program. So tell me what the one, what that stands for, what it, what it is and how did it get started? MASH stands for Medical Application of Science for Health. Um, when I was first hired, I, I started with the Office of Rural Health um, 30, almost 40 years ago. Um, and then I was hired onto the AHEC program um, 35 years ago. And that one of the first things that I got to do uh, was to, I was one of the first hired under that first a federal AHEC grant we got. And so one of the first uh, things that I had the uh, uh, opportunity to do was um, start looking at how can we grow this program? Um, you know, what, what do we want to expand into? Um, and we, we knew the importance of that early pipeline. Um, it's, such, it's such a long-term pipeline and people don't realize it, mm -hmm. um, that a pipeline for a physician educational pipeline is 15 years really when you're looking at it because you have to get these students by the ninth grade to make sure that they're getting all of the required you know that they're taking the ap science and math classes that they're getting that foundation that they need educationally in high school to prepare them for a pre-med program if if they don't start thinking about this until they're a senior in high school a lot of have already missed the boat right you know, as they didn't they didn't take that and they didn't take that and so um our we have recruiters around um or education coordinators in each of our regional sites and and that's one of their jobs is to get the word out to these students get them at the high school level and make sure that if they're interested in i mean first you know let them know what the opportunities are um, but but then also make sure that they're advising them academically to make sure that they can get on the right path. But back to MASH. Um, so uh, we needed a pro there was actually it was a state uh, Aegis program when that stands for. Uh, yeah, I forget what that is, but I do remember it. For gifted and talented. In right. It's what that stands for. And I went to a, a, a workshop where they were talking about they had put out a call for proposals. And um, said, this sounds like something that we need to pursue. And so uh, myself and another um, uh, a guy from Pine Bluff, uh, we got our heads together and started kind of developing. We developed this proposal. And so the program was started, it was piloted in Pine Bluff um, Regional Site in 1988. And, um, and so, it, it, and again, with, with MASH, the key, um, a key focus is to get these programs out there into those rural areas mm -hmm. because that's what's so, because reality is you're not likely going to get somebody who grew up in Little Rock or Fayetteville to ever go practice in Dermont or, yeah. you know, DeWitt or, you know, I mean, Louisville. I mean, it's just not going to happen, you know people tend to return to the places that they grew up in, that they're familiar with, that they have developed a, you know, fondness for. And so um, that's the critical point of, of reaching students at their hometowns where they grew up, you know, recruiting them, nurturing them, 
getting them the resources that they need. And then there's a far greater likelihood that those are the ones that are going to ultimately return to practice in those areas. So MASH is a, started out as a two-week summer camp. Um, we still do that. It's a two-week summer camp where they get to do all kinds of fun, hands-on activities, you know, suturing pig's feet and, oh, and doing gross things and fun things and, and do, uh, sometimes they do like a, a mock emergency crash site or or they do and then they get to shadow different kinds of health professionals so they get exposed to all kinds of different uh health professionals um because i mean everybody knows physician nurse but um they're usually clueless about the literally hundreds of other opportunities that there are to have a, a career in some kind of health care you know respiratory tech and and, you know, medical lab type things or, or health information, you know, IT kinds of things, you know, so, so MASH really exposes them to all of that and it helps them connect how the fundamentals of anatomy, biology, physiology, you know, that they're learning in high school, how does, how does that apply to an actual real life, um, you know, medical scenario. And so it helps make, connect some of those dots for them and, uh, and then, that's usually when uh, that interest really sparks. I mean, there have been so many. I mean, we've had 10,000 students over the years go through a MASH program. Mm. Um, and so that's usually the moment that it sparks where it's like, oh, my gosh, now I know. I definitely want to do this. Yeah. Or, oh, my gosh, I definitely don't want to do that, which is just as important, right? Yeah. You know? Um, and so, uh, but, but, and then over the years, we've to adapt to, the needs of communities well i mean some smaller communities they can't they don't have the facilities nor the volunteers i mean you think about a two-week uh summer camp rich experience for high school students that requires a lot of resources of volunteers of commitment and you know a lot of small communities don't can't do that for two-week periods so we created another program uh, called CHAMPS, which is Community Health Applied and Medical Public Service. Um, that was kind of an abbreviated version of MASH, and then it was intended for the younger students, like ninth and 10th grade. Okay. Um, and that with the idea that then once the student reaches 11th or 12th grade, then if they need to drive to the next larger town who has a MASH program, then they can do that. You know, So that was kind of the way it was initially um, designed. And then Pre-COVID, uh, we were up to um, that we were having like five, uh, around 500 or more students across the state in I think it was 32, maybe 34 uh, camps around the state. So these are sponsored at one of our regional sites or uh, usually a local hospital, uh, you know, community-based hospital, some other, some of them, you know, maybe at a, a college or a, um, you know, whatever kind of entity can, can host, um, you know, a group of students and it's usually groups of, you know, from, you know, five to in Fort Smith, which had some of our biggest, um, uh, I mean, and they've hosted as many as 40 students, which is yeah, massive. Most of them were right around, you know, 12 to 20 mm-hmm. out of students at, at those camps, but COVID um, you know, of course, we were completely locked down. So there was two years that we couldn't do any of this. And so we're just now coming back from all of that and have rebuilt. And 
and in the process of that and trying to uh, accommodate um again you know still wanting to reach the students and accommodating the the um, communities um we've kind of created some other options we created a find your future in healthcare, which is a purely virtual i think it's like a three-day thing you know just kind of similar concept just exposing the students and also including some hands-on and then we also um opened up and and uh allowed a one-week mini mash opportunity for those who were just kind of getting their feet back in the water that's like we haven't done this for two years we got to make sure we can still pull this off you know and so, but I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled to say that, um, we, I mean, our, our 23 summer programs just finished. Um, we don't have the final numbers in, but it's right around 300 students and we're almost back to 30, uh, different camps. So, so we're really excited and expect by next year, we'll be back going full speed. And yeah. We, yeah. we got to keep building that pipeline. I, I know for, for me, I actually moved to Pine Bluff in 1988. Yeah. Remember both the Aegis program and I do remember the MASH program when I got to high school in the 90s. I count myself as a success, even though I didn't participate in the program, because I absolutely knew that that was not what I wanted to do. <laughs> but aside from my success story, do you have a success story you might share? Yeah, we actually have a lot of them. Um, but one, he's kind of been our poster child for, for MASH success stories, is uh, Jared Burks, uh, Dr. Jared Burks. Now, he's um, he was actually one who started out with this uh, in a MASH program in Northeast Arkansas. He's from Manila, little, little tiny community not far from Jonesboro. And um, anyway, he started with us in a MASH program up there. Um, he ended up... Um, going working with our recruiter at the time in our regional site up there uh, through college. We have, we have various pre-professional programs because that's one of the keys to our success in, in these programs and, and getting and retaining students through this pipeline is our regional recruiters that I mentioned earlier. We were able to hire them in 2010 um, through the um, tobacco, some of the tobacco settlement funds. And they have actually been the critical glue uh, to hold these programs together because, um, I mean, pro good programs are great, but you've got to have that personal touch, you know, and um, you've got to have somebody, especially for these rural kids, first generation college kids, you know, minority or disadvantaged kids. It's absolutely critical that you have an actual person to come alongside them and say, I'm going to take you by the hand and help you navigate through this really complicated educational um, system because it's not easy and it's not simple. And if you don't have a parent who's been through that process, they can't help you. Right. You don't have a really highly qualified and caring high school um, advisor or counselor, they can't help you, you know? And so uh, our recruiters and education um coordinators are really, really uh, critical in that. So anyway, we did have that that kind of person in Jonesboro at a regional site, took Jared into the, uh, from high school, from the MASH experience, into the college pre-professional programs where they do things like, you know, um, MCAT prep, you know, helping them, you know, mock interviews, helping them 
to uh, do, know how to present themselves, you know, help them to proof their personal uh, statements that they have to write for a professional school application, you know, all of those kind of things. And then also connecting them with, with community service type hours that, that students have to, you know, need to show on their medical school applications. Yeah. Uh, Jared also came back um, um, during that time and um, helped work, helped uh, run or, you know, work with the kids who were coming through MASH then because he had been through it. And so he kept coming back and kind of helping assist with MASH. And then when he got into medical school, he continued to, you know, did some rotations through our regional sites, kept coming back to help with, you know, as a MASH assistant, ended up going matching to our residency program in Jonesboro. And then is he just, uh, I think this, this year, um, you know, is retired to Manila to practice wow. medicine, which is, I mean, so that's the perfect scenario. The circle know? is complete. <laughs> yeah. That's great. So, um, I know, I don't want to, it's unfortunate that I shaped these questions right next to each other because that's such a great success, but I want to take a step back and, and ask you what, what are some of the problems that we're facing in getting a rural healthcare workforce and what are some of the initiatives that your office and others are engaging in to, to kind of close that gap? Well, we talked about the geographic distribution and that's why we're so focused on that long-term recruitment, you know, specifically targeting the rural students um, because that's so, that's so critical. And the, uh, the, uh, uh, personal contact, um, you know, with the students and, and, you know, this is really key. Um, and the, uh, here in the last few years, we've been able to, we were able to get a medical student education grant, um, uh, that has helped us to really zero in on, um, helping to bring the, um, minority and underrepresented minority numbers up because that's another, you know, whether it's the, the rural geographic, um, disparity um, that we need that we need to specifically target those students. We we also have uh, the disparities in underrepresented minority students in the medical field, and so we have been really zeroing in on trying to target that through this medical student education grant. And we've we've developed a great relationship with um, the Division of Diversity, at Equity, and Inclusion at um, UMS. And also our HBCUs, our historically black colleges, um, and so we've been working closely with them and have developed some fantastic programs that have shown already some great success in getting these. Uh, we're also um, involved in helping to uh, get the post baccalaureate um, program started at UMS, which is for those students that get close. But like they fell just short of, you know, maybe their MCAT score or maybe their, you know, their interview didn't go great or, you know, there was some some just deficiency that they just need a little additional support um, for. And so anyway, we, we've got some fabulous programs that we've been able to help get started um, just in the last few years that are already showing amazing success in, in um, helping to, to increase those those minority student numbers that we're really excited about. That's good. Um, one of the things that we've been working with with you guys on at uh, in, in family practice is kind of looking at what what is the primary care 
workforce look like that's out there now and kind of their level of activity. And that's one of the things that we identified uh, and that we'll hopefully publish soon through a dashboard uh, is that kind of that disparity in particularly in race and ethnicity in our primary care workforce. And that's uh, one of the, I mean, the reason that's important. It's not just because, um, but it's, it, it is because similar to <clears throat> rural communities, you know, a lot of times you see, um, you know, like in federally qualified, um, health centers, um, they have, they may have, um, like foreign medical graduates who are, you know, serving with them. They may be perfectly wonderful, capable physicians, but small town people like small town doctors, you know, I mean, and it's like, they want one of their homegrown, you know, sons or daughters, you know, serving them and their family. I mean, that's just the reality of it, you know, and, and, um, and so that's why those, um, those connections are so important, but with the, uh, similar to the underrepresented minority students, you know, you've got some people who just, they feel more comfortable going to someone, you know, to a physician that looks like them, you know, or can speak their language, you know, and, and so those, those things are important. And so we, at, at the very least, want to try to help encourage a similar percentage and representation of the different races and ethnicities around the state that our population reflects, yeah. you know, it's, it's just yeah. important. So I got one final question for you. If you were giving an elevator pitch to a medical student to go into primary care in a rural area, what would that sound like? Well, what I have heard from, uh, a lot of, uh, our primary care docs and, and faculty that, that work closely with our programs is they absolutely love what they do, you know, and, and they talk about how specializing, subspecializing in, in, you know, some, um, it, the more you specialize, the more narrow your focus is, <laughs> the more similar your, your days are end up being right. You, primary care in a rural community, especially it just allows the broadest range of practice. I mean, every day is different. You never know what's coming through the door. I mean, you're, you're treating, you know, newborn babies, you, you know, may, maybe delivering babies, you know, and the treating newborns and infants and then kids. And as they grow up and then you're treating mom and dad and you're treating grandma, and grandma and grandma and grandpa and out the, uh, you know, helping them with, with end of life, you know, care. I mean, it literally is cradle to the grave care. And, you know, it keeps, it requires a vast amount of knowledge mm -hmm. um, and information. And you really have to do your continuing education, but it's, but I mean, they just, they have such fun. And, and then the personal aspects of being engaged in a, a, um, being known in a rural community as the local town doc. I mean, everybody knows you, everybody loves you and respects you. I mean, you're so highly revered and, um, it, it's just, um, uh, it's just, just one of the most rewarding, um, areas of medicine that is, is out there. Um, so that, that would be my pitch. You saw me, you saw me. I was, I don't think I said it earlier, but I do want to do a, a shout out to uh, the Arkansas Farm Bureau Foundation. They've been an absolute uh, amazing partner for all of these years. They have helped to support uh, our mass programs. They understand that because they're farmers there, they understand the importance of homegrown health care and getting their sons and daughters, you know, out there trained and then back home again. And so they have just been a, a 
completely a, a very committed partner uh, with us, and we couldn't have done MASH without them all these years. Well, good shout out and congratulations on shepherding a very successful program for 35 years. It's been great to have you on the show. I, it, I really, it's really, yeah, that's it's probably the thing that I'm most proud of. You know, uh, in all of my years at, at UMS, it's it's definitely the thing that I, I think I'm most proud of. Thanks for joining us, Robin, and keep mashing. Thanks, Craig. Thank you for listening to Walks at Work. You can listen to our bi-weekly podcast on our website, achi.net. A special thanks to the Bobby L. Roberts Library of Arkansas History and Art, which is a part of the Central Arkansas Library System for allowing us to use their studio to record. If you have any topics you would like for us to consider, please email us at achi at achi.net. As a reminder, the views, information, and opinions expressed by our podcast guests are solely those of the guests and do not necessarily represent those of the Arkansas Center for Health Improvement. The primary purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform The podcast does not constitute medical, legal, or other professional advice or services. We hope you've enjoyed our latest episode, and again, thanks for listening.